Hey everybody, nice to see you all. I'm, uh, I'm so happy that you're all here and uh, we're kind of seeing when the rain started uh, that people would be afraid of uh, a second float. Um, but great to see you so many people. Uh, you are going to experience uh, two things. Uh, first of all, you're going to experience the first podcast from Startup Guide, which is happening tonight. And second of all, you're the first people that we are inviting in to our not done yet, but soon to be done new headquarter in Berlin. So great Wednesday evening, huh? <laughs> uh, and then uh, the third thing, of course, is that um, tonight I'm going to have a conversation with Anne. Uh, and I think, Anne, um, we are, we've known each other for what? Five, five years. Five years. Uh, we met when I just moved to Berlin. And um, when uh, we were organizing this uh, podcast, we were like, who should we ask in as the first one? And I was like, I know exactly who I would like to talk with. And I would very much like to talk with you. So, some practical rules. Uh, we are you know, recording this live. This is both going to be a podcast and it's also going to be a video. So uh, we have a little weird thing, and that is we have a toilet here. But doing the next half an hour, that cannot be used because then it will ruin the podcast. So if you really need to pee, guys, then uh, it's Berlin, right? Girls, <laughs> it's Berlin, right? So you just take it from here. Um, and uh, then in the end of the, the show, we will have uh, a microphone. So if you feel doing the talks we have that you have some questions you would like to ask, then that will also be part of, you will not be, you cannot hear your voice, but that will be part of the podcast as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's basically it. Afterwards, there will be more beers and popcorn, so we can go around and chat and um, then the final thing I have to say is that I have to say thank you to Groover who is basically helping us with all the equipments here and um, Mabel Eye Pictures who is doing all the, the recording and editing and uh, have helping us setting this up so thank you very much for that. So Anne, let's start. You're the founder uh, of uh, Ready School Digital Integration uh, which works with train refugees with the interest of IT to take on some of the 51,000 IT jobs in Germany. Um, but before Ready School, you co-founded uh, Stanford Peace Innovation Lab, and you were also the founder of Kids Have a Dream, which held kids' children's art workshops in over 30 countries. And aside from that, you're Danish, like me, who speaks Norwegian, English, and on my paper it says German, Japanese, Spanish, and Swedish. Should we try it all? <laughs> we can try. Thank you very much. Can you tell a little bit more about uh, Ready School? So Ready School is a one and a half year old social startup. Mm -hmm. We are um, a nonprofit based out of Berlin, but I would say with great international aspirations. Um, but what we do is essentially teaching refugees to code. Um, there is, as you said, 51,000 available IT jobs in Germany at the moment that the industry is desperately trying to fill. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the number one need that you have when you often arrive in, as a refugee in a new country is to find a way to make money and to be able to survive yourself, but also to support um, your family potentially somewhere else. And, and for us, it was really a matter of creating a win-win-win situation, something that would be good for 
the refugees, something that would be good for German society and something that would also be good for German companies. Mm -hmm. And if we're able to basically fill this triangle with meaning and with connection, then we felt that we had something sustainable that could make a significant impact, not just here in Germany, but potentially all over the world. Okay. And how long have we existed for now? We started officially in, so officially meaning that we'd gone through all the German bureaucratic work. Um, we started in February 2016, but prior to that, um, there was about six months of intensive volunteer work um, that went into it, not just from me, but from an entire team of refugees, um, of people from the startup industry, from the tech industry, trying to, to make this happen. Okay. And um, is, it, um, is it weird that Anne did this project? If you can tell a little bit about yourself, you know, I know you quite personally, I know kind of the many things you have been working on, but uh, what, what kind of feeling is it for this project that, that, that why did you do this? First of all, I would never say that I did it. I think one of the the important mantras in my life is that everything needs to be co-created, that if you want to go far, you need to travel with other people. Sometimes it might feel that you want to, you could go so much faster if you were just doing it on your own, but I think it's uh, it, it's not a long-term solution. So, so for me, I always try to bring the community along. Um, I might be the pacemaker and the one kind of showing the direction and setting a vision, but you need to do it together to really make it work. Um, but on a personal level, I think my story kind of starts um, way before I was even born. Um, my great-grandfather was German and had to leave Germany in 1933 um, because he and his family um, were running a pacifist printing press in Germany and were severely harassed by the Nazis. Um, and eventually um, made the very, very tough decision that many Syrians have to make today to leave their home country and leave their family behind. Mm. And, and seek a better future somewhere else that is safe. Which happened to be Denmark and, and not so far away, and I think that's also the lesson that we can take today, that most of the Syrians are now probably sitting in Jordan. And, and my hope is, of course, that the Syrians who are here and the Syrians who are stuck in Jordan or some of the other areas in two or three generations can look back in a similar way that I can look back on my family and say that they were giving the right kind of opportunities and were able to make the right kind of connections to, to build a better future for themselves. Hmm. So, um, how did it all start? I founded the, the Berlin Peace Innovation Lab um, when I arrived in Berlin um, five years ago. And the initiative was really to, to bring people interested in social entrepreneurship, social innovation and technology closer together. Um, it was a community that grew into, I think there's now 1,800 people mm. in the group. Um, and that allowed us to, to really bring a good group of people together in, in the spring of 2015 when we could see that the humanitarian crisis around refugees was starting to develop in Europe. And for me it was important that we really got the right people together looking at the, the challenges. Um, so I think in around April 2015, we, we did a, a co-creation workshop at Berlin Town Hall, um, looking at how technology could make a difference to improve the lives of refugees. Um, we very soon realized, however, that uh, there was no refugees in the room, <laughs> which was a, 
a, a huge problem for all of us. Thankfully, we, we realized it quite soon and actively started going out visiting refugee camps, making friends, asking questions, getting the refugee population engaged in building the solution together with us. Um, so that's how, it's, how it started. And um, I guess at that point, there must have been many different things you could have done for the refugees. Why coding? I think, first of all, it's important to really understand that, that there is a need for creating job opportunities for refugees. And, and it was important for me that we are teaching the refugees skills and supporting them in, in developing the talents that they have to to be job takers in the future and what is exceptionally exciting about the tech industry that it's often a, an industry that is creating other jobs and and my hope is that if we were able to to support the refugees in in, in other joining tech companies or potentially starting their own startups and businesses that they could be generating jobs also for the local population and thereby uh, making integration something that is actually attractive um, for for countries to welcome refugees in and i think at the moment in germany we we have it you know the population is getting older and older we need young people to come in and, and do jobs um, to help keep the level of, of service and, and the, the quality of life that we have in Germany. Mm. And I think, um, especially with the Syrian population who are very highly educated, the Iranians as well, there's, there's a huge opportunity here to, to use as an opportunity to improve society in Germany, in, in Europe, and, and hopefully one day also for the Syrians and, and the Iranis if they are able to go back mm. and have to rebuild their own countries. I think this is the, the best way that we can support them. And now, uh, it was in 2015, now we are in mid-2017, um, how do you think, how to say, the development have been since then? Uh, what have gone well, but also what do you think have gone not so well? About 800,000 people arrived in, in Germany in, in 2016, mostly from Syria, and, and that is a, a much, much larger number than we had ever seen in, in Germany at the time. And, and the bureaucracy really tried its best to keep up, but the numbers were so incredibly high that um, they needed to have help from civil society to really make solutions. But I think overall we can be very proud in Germany of the way that the, the refugee crisis was actually handled in comparison to many other countries. I think Angela Merkel did a tremendous hum, human thing in, in opening the borders. I wish more countries had done that. Um, I can understand the concern that some people have around is integration happening in the right way, um, but I think there is a lot of money that has flown into to significant language learning integration work. So I think a lot of things have gone right, um, but I also work every day with refugees and I know the, the daily frustrations of not learning German fast enough, not having good enough teachers, um, other, other challenges that, that they might have in their daily lives that comes from this frustration that the, that the system was overburdened and overrun and, and not able to, to keep up with the challenges. So, so I, I can see kind of both both ways. Uh, we can be proud of Germany. I really think we can, but it doesn't mean that it was a perfect solution by no means. Mm. the The biggest challenge that I see right now, especially in, in Berlin, is related to to 
allowing refugees to move out of the refugee camps. Um, in Berlin, you can actually move out and you get about 450 euros per month um, to, to support you to get a, a, a place to live in Berlin. But there's a significant shortage in, in apartments here, not just for refugees, for anyone who wants to, to have their own place. And it is a challenge because even if you, you get the money but you can't find a room where you can live, you're still stuck in a refugee camp where the conditions are really harsh. You will be sharing a room with maybe four or five other people um, who could be suffering from post-traumatic stress, who are having a hard time um, sleeping, who might not be doing things or trying to find a meaning in life and, and make sense of, of it all and, and therefore are not sleeping and listening to music and videos mm -hmm. long hours of night so you're not properly sleeping. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's tremendous challenges related to just finding a, a place for, for people to live right now and, and I would highly encourage anyone um, who has the chance to, to take in a refugee in, in their um, VG in their community space where they're living to, to really do that and, and see that as part of our responsibility. Okay. So now you have the chance to work with a lot of refugees every day and um, can, you, can you try to maybe give an example of you know uh, some of the things that through this job because I know that it's a, it's a lot of hard work and also a lot of hard work that doesn't always get paid in the right way. So what is it that really makes you like get up in the morning? Do you have any stories you can share around uh, that? I think it was about six months ago that I was in Brussels at, a, at an event at the European Commission um, about how we can get more refugees into academia. And there was a, a former director of the Nobel Prize Museum in, in Stockholm who was talking about um, innovation and who was talking about the characteristics of the Nobel, or the Nobel Prize winners. And, and I was kind of taken back by, by looking at some of these characteristics would, would be risk-taking, um, ability to imagine a better future, having a vision, because many of these characteristics were characteristics that I would be able to put on my students as well. And, and this is really how I would like to see my students, is, is tremendous talent, that they are pioneers, because what it takes to leave your home country and, and seek a better future abroad and, and make it all the way to, to Europe takes tremendous um, social understanding, it, it takes tremendous human power, psychological power, it also takes a lot of, of financial resources to really make it. And, and I wish that more people in Germany would really see that and see that as an opportunity to get tremendously good workers um, to come, come and work for you. Maybe invest a little bit upfront in the beginning, but, but then hopefully really seeing the fruits of that later on. Um, but the, the people that I work with them are mostly young people in their late 20s um, who have studied um, at university for a couple of years but weren't able to finish, they had to leave um, their home countries. Um, which is a hard decision um, because you come here, it, it's difficult learning German, you need to be able to speak academic level German which is, is hard for anyone to do. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't qualify for doing it either. 
and and it really does set you back many many years and they are afraid of of all the years that they, they feel that they are losing early on in their life um, but I see it it's it's also people at our school who are very very driven who, who really wants to contribute who wants to work and and want to study as well so um, if I have to go a little bit more about you and also because we would like to go a little bit beyond you know the people who started several things like this um, you have worked in you have worked with several NGOs before you started your own things kids have a dream uh, innovation lab uh, peace and peace um, Stanford Stanford peace, peace innovation lab, lab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and then you also worked at Coca-Cola um, mm-hmm. and that was there where you stopped and then you started working with Ready School. Can you, can you try to explain uh, how the differences between actually working in cooperation like Coca-Cola, even working with something that was interesting for you, and now actually again going out and taking the risk and founding your own company? So I work for inside of Coca-Cola and I've worked as a consultant for, for Samsung Electronics. So that's sort of my two experiences working with large international um, organizations, for-profit organizations. And and I've learned a tremendous amount from doing that, um, which has allowed me to now collaborate with these kinds of organizations. So we work with Cisco, we work with Facebook, so it helps me understand how they tick and how they how you can have good valuable conversations and really try to get the best out of these um, large international organizations and and how they can help you scale but at the same time as a person with a very entrepreneurial mindset and and a number of different ideas and ideals that i want to to see um, materialize in in life i also quite soon realize that that it might not be the best fit for me. Um, I, I would get very impatient and probably stress out my <laughs> colleagues a little bit um, because I want to see see quicker results. I want to see more ambitious ideas and and the, the kind of this silo way of thinking that many companies still struggle with is something that that doesn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's really nice to have the understanding and have been on the other side um, in the corporate world, but but also realizing that I can be of bigger value to society and I can have a, a happier and healthier life myself if I don't have to be part of it, but I can collaborate with them. Okay. And now you say happier and better life, um, but I guess there must also be times where, you know, it is very stressful and it is very unbalanced and sometimes I, I have started a company myself so I know that you know sometimes the purpose can be far away. Um, can you share you know how you do the balance between life and work and is there any kind of you know work-life balance or is it basically just what is called balanced? <laughs> um, it's certainly a goal of mine, and, and it's something that I guess the older I get, the more I try to strive towards more work-life balance. I must admit I'm miserably failing at the moment at that. Um, but it's something I'm working on and I'm, I'm trying to, to get better at, and and also seeing that, that taking time off and, and being with the people that I care about and, and traveling and do the things that I, I find fun is, is also an investment in doing a better job 
in being a better colleague and, and being a better leader for the people that I work with. So I think it's a good investment, but, but when your inbox is overflowing with emails and then people are asking you and calling you, it, it's sometimes hard to just completely switch off. So it, it is a challenge and, and I think it's something that we have to start talking more about is, is uh, the immense pressure that is on, on founders and, and people working in startup that I don't necessarily find healthy. Um, and I would like us to, to be more open about these pressures and, and make sure that we take care of each other to not burn out. Um, and it's something that, that we also need to have honest conversations with our investors about. I mean, I run a social startup, so, so I don't have investors in that sense, but I think the people who are in for-profit businesses have tremendous pressures on them to, to deliver results that might not be achievable or that, that is not creating the, the kind of founders and the kind of teams that we would like to see in, in the future. Yeah, because yeah, something that I often, now I have been going on for four or five years, also been running companies and people come and people go, then you have money, then you don't, and ups and downs. And some of the things that I realized that it's a very lonely path. I don't know if you can, can feel that as well. Um, but something I often thought about was like, we never hear about that. We basically never hear about that, you know, people, they, they go down with stress and even if they do, they don't tell. Mm -hmm. um, what would you recommend if there's anybody here in the crowd sitting and wanting to start a company? What would, what would you take con into consideration before doing something like this? In a way, I was, I'm kind of happy that I didn't know <laughs> what I know now. So maybe we shouldn't difficult. tell. Don't do this it at home. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's a sense of, of blissful naivety when you start, because if you knew, you would never start. <laughs> but you still do, and, and when you push through it, it's very worthwhile. Um, but, but it is, I don't think one can even start to imagine how difficult it is. Uh, I think. You, you can logically think about it and you understand the business side of how difficult things can be, but the, the amount of psychological stress that you are put under, especially when, when you start running your own team and you have responsibilities for, for salaries and, and the partners that you're working with, and, and you sometimes can't deliver or you are afraid of not being able to deliver, um, it's tremendously hard. And I think it's important that we have support systems around us of, of good people, of, of having family, of, of having boyfriends and girlfriends that really support us in, 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 in having a good life and, and can also check in and, and tell you when enough is enough, mm. that, that we need to sleep or we need to eat properly. And, you know, it, it's very basic things, but, mm. but sometimes you, you just need somebody to hold up a mirror and say mm. it's enough. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, looking back, and at your like entrepreneurial career, uh, what would you say have been some of the, the most challenging or the hardest part about being a leader or building a company or surviving the cash flow? Or? I think being a social entrepreneur is probably the extreme sport of or the extreme sport version of entrepreneurship because you have to be cash flow positive from day one mm -hmm. in order to have a team. Um, if you run a, a normal startup, you might be able to get investors or angels to come in and invest so you can start building a team from there and, and deliver and, and sell products later. But 
we couldn't start with ready school before we actually had earned our first money before before we had um, our first um, corporate partner on board and then start paying ourselves and and it now means that that we are um, an extremely lean company but it, it is a challenge because our growth is limited by the amount of partners that we could that we can attract and the money that needs to be in our bank account before we can start hiring more people so it, it makes it very slow yet very organic growth um, it might be be healthy in a in a sense because it, it's not the the crazy expansion that you sometimes see in, in startups that have a big inflow of cash from 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 VCs, but but it is a challenge when you're a social startup um, because you are always running low on funding and, and you will often be seen as a charity case and people don't understand that we have to both be able to deliver on, on financial value, but we very much also have to deliver on social value and, and that we value both of those things and take them into considerations. And I think we need to get better at at explaining what does it mean to be a social entrepreneur and what is social impact and why why is it important? Would you still say that there is um, because now we start thinking about you know that the win-win-win that both uh, you as a company should win, your customers should win, uh, but also the world should win. Mm -hmm. So would you say that we are moving into a, a place where you know social entrepreneurship is not a term anymore, but Basically, everybody have to be, you know, considering to the social understanding of, of how it is to run a business. I think it's definitely improving, and and I hope that this is a, a movement that we will see all around the world. That this will just become the way of doing business in the future. Um, the positive thing is that I to attract talent these days, sort of our generation and, and the people who are younger. Um, are looking for more than just having a big paycheck at the end of the month that that you're looking for different kind of value you want to work with like-minded people you want to have an inspiring job that you are improving your skills but you also want to see that there's a purpose beyond selling a, a product um, that might not be making the world a better place so so it can either be giving back as part of um, one of the things that we do with with Cisco and SAP is that they allow their um, employees to actually come as part of their job to to volunteer with us and thereby by giving back and we can see it's something that has tremendous value for the people and the employees that we're working with and and I would love to see that model working more in the future because I think you can create financial value but also do something socially good at the same time it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. uh, building an NGO the, the say like the decision about going for profit or non-profit was it hard it, <laughs> it remains being hard <laughs> um, for me it made the most sense in the beginning <coughs> to do it as a social enterprise because we we want to be focusing on the social impact um, but there's a there's a number of it's, it's like a gray zone it's it's not so black and white I mean you have the the nonprofits who are entirely depending on on foundation money or government money and 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 we are not that we want to create our own profits in order to become sustainable and and grow that way but we didn't want to we wanted the profits to be reinvested in, in doing social good instead of 
paying out either the, the founders or the, the investors. Um, so that's what I personally found ethically right and, and, and especially in, in order to help refugees. But at the same time, actually, when you're providing education for refugees, the government is highly suspicious of you when you're a social enterprise because they're used to working with um, education providers who are for profit. And, and there are people who do that and make a big profit from mm -hmm. it. So, so the government and other people are, are making questions about why you're you know, a non-profit, mm -hmm. why, why this set up, and then you have to explain yourself. And it's, it's something that we continue, you know, struggling with and also seeing well could we have a non-profit arm and a for-profit arm whether for-profit arm is funding the non-profit arm but mm. there are these kind of hybrid models and and they maybe we would need to do that in the future in order to scale and do more social good but but for the time being i mean it's 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 working well in under the construction that we have right now do you think it will change also the view of the people who volunteer for you and mentor for you and the people who support? Do you think that will change if you suddenly say, okay, we go for profit now? It would definitely have an impact, but I think everything is about communication and, and as long as you can verbalize and explain why certain decisions have been made and, and as long as we stay true to the values and the social impact that we want to have and, and if it makes more sense to to be a, a for-profit mm. i mean the the shareholders could potentially be our volunteers so there are many sure. many ways of, of doing this and and to create ownership but but changing the from a non-profit to a for-profit of course would influence mm. the corporate culture that we have mm. and and we need to take that very seriously so it's not going to happen anytime soon if it's ever going to happen. <laughs> so, so for me, the, the reason why we can, can do so much good and, and support so many refugees is because of the, at the moment we have 60 active volunteers who are teaching, plus another 50 who is who's doing other kinds of CV training, job interview training, and, and Ready School couldn't be what we are today without, uh, with, I think, 115 volunteers that we have. So, um, I should go to my last question so you can start preparing your own questions. Um, where do you see two things? Where do you see Ready School in five years? And, um, and where do you see yourself? Are you, uh, are you still on board or do you have some projects running around in your head that you would like to, to go forward with in the next couple of years? Um. My wish, so we're in 2017 now, so 2022. <laughs> um, if we meet again, then I would hope that Ready School um, has scaled significantly, um, that we will be in, in a couple of other German cities, um, a number of other European cities. But what I would most like to see, to be honest, is that we're working and operating inside of refugee camps and have nailed it how we can teach um, through massive open online learning um, to teach tech skills um, because the majority of refugees are either in the host countries and or the areas around the, where they used to live like Jordan or they're stuck in refugee camps for a number of years and and those are really ultimately the people that I would like to support and help and and I think we can both be doing something good in Europe, but but even better and, and hopefully more impactful um, elsewhere. On a personal basis, I mean, 
I definitely see this as my long-time job. I would love to see, say that I'm going to be the, the, maybe not necessarily CEO, but at least be working with, with Ready School for the rest of my life. It, it is a long-term investment because I feel this is, this is what is creating sense and meaning for me. It's, it's not my ambition to necessarily go off and, and start a number of other organizations, but let's see about it. And, and hopefully also with a more balanced life and, and a happy and a good family. So. Yeah, let's see. Sounds like a good plan. Sounds good to me. Is there uh, any questions in the crowd? Did we simply cover everything? <laughs> no? Okay, then I have to come up with some more ones, I guess. Um, see, when 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 you uh, so we you studied at the chaos pilot then you studied at you st took a master as well yeah i did a master of peace studies in tokyo yeah when you finished your uh peace study did you thought that you would become an entrepreneur that's a good question if you had asked me straight out i probably would have said no i want some stability and just earn some money um if you had dug a little bit deeper onto that, I think we'll very soon have realized that I actually did want to become an entrepreneur. Um, starting projects and running projects is something that I've done all of my life in, in different kind of constructs. Um, but it, it takes tremendous courage to to start your own business in a country that is not your own. And, and I decided to move to Berlin for a number of reasons, most of it because it's so multicultural. But starting a business in in Germany, I mean, I spoke some some German, but um, bureaucratic German is a <laughs> a German of its own kind, and it, it's it's not easy. And I can only do that because of the the network that I have and and the people who believed in in me and believed in their idea, and made it happen together with me. So I think I probably would have been too scared in the beginning to say yes, I want to start my own business in Germany, but. But it, it kind of developed and emerged from there, and, and now it feels like the only right thing to do. Do you think that this is something I ask you because there's a, a late study that says that uh, the millennial generation from, from around 1980 to 2000, 62% of them have said yes to that they actually want to start their own business at some point. There's quite a lot of people. <laughs> do you think that the whole ready school idea about you know making people able having competences, do you think that this will affect the way we're going to work in the future? That we will all kind of have small companies or? I definitely think that there has been a, a shift from, if I look at my parents' generation, who who were job takers and, and they were thinking that there was job stability, that if you become a teacher, if you start working for Daimler, um, that this is a lifetime job. And, and I think our generation have realized that there is no such thing as job security. So the best thing that you can do is to invest in a good education and and to build the skills that would be required that you can get by and start your own thing or um, even study hairdressing because that is a universally applied skill. Um, we're all gonna have hair and it needs cutting every now and again. So, so I think there's a different kind of thinking around the skill sets that we are getting and I think I was reading recently that, that the 
the university in Denmark that is getting the highest number of applications or that had the biggest increase in applications is computer sciences right now. So I think more and more people are, are opening up to, to computer science and programming being in incredibly important skills in, in the future. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the mindset of starting your own business, but at least you're going to have the skills to potentially do that. And I think that's a, a good investment. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, that was the question I have today. Is there anybody that changed their mind about asking a question or two? Mm, so I guess in all the refugee students that you have at Ready School, um, not um, everyone has studied uh, computer science back in their university or want to uh, pursue a lifetime career in computer science. And I guess some of them have um, chosen a very different paths of work. I don't know, doctors, architects, or have studied philosophy, or I don't know, name it. And um, so um, even though for now it really makes sense for them to study computer science because it's there are so many jobs available in the sector and it's really important for them to gain a minimum of financial stability in Germany. Um, do you also think of helping them in finding a balance between practical necessity and also pursuing their passions that they had in their country? So thanks for the question, because I can hear that they, it comes from a care really wanting to see people using their human potential and their interests. And I think that's exactly the way that we have to look at the refugees as full human beings with, with passions, and, and I share that. Um, one of the criteria to get into ready school is, is that one is that you need to be able to understand and participate in an English-speaking class. Um, you need to be seeing the potential of learning about computers and programming as not necessarily as the final destination, but as a skill set that you want to acquire in order to do a job in the future. So we have seen, for instance, architects who want to go back to study architecture, but who are very, very interested in, in 3D printing technologies and are seeing that their skills in the digital world that will enable them to become more attractive architects and increase their chances of getting a job in the future. And, and for me, my background is in innovation. The T-shaped the people, as we call them, is the most interesting, that if you can have a deep understanding of architecture and a generalist understanding of, of programming, you are a very, very uniquely positioned architect that can probably you know, be more employable in, in the future. So for me, that is attractive. Um, but we can also see that now the number of people with computer science that are taking part in our courses is significantly increasing. So in the beginning, when we started the courses one and a half year ago, it was about one third who had studied one to two years of computer science. Um, right now, that number is, is probably more like 50%. Um, so I think we have become more clear in our communication about what is Ready School about, who can benefit the most from being a student with us. Um, and of course, computer science or studying um, coding is, is not the, 
you know, a solution that fits everyone and, and, and training all refugees in to become programmers is not the solution. Computer programming is certainly not for everyone. It is an incredibly hard skill set. Um, but my ambition is to, to help the people who can see that as an opportunity and to then help the others at least to have skills that will make them more attractive in the job market. Um, given your uh, non-profit, you can't judge your success in terms of profits. Therefore, a very important topic in social innovation is impact measurement. So, how do you measure your impact and how do you judge your return on investment and how do you see you fitting versus other kind of projects that are running in Germany? Impact measurement is always super, super difficult and it's something that we need to improve on. Um, what we do is that um, on a monthly basis we ask our alumni who's been through the courses um, what they're doing now. And um, the numbers from May, so I, I need to see the, the newest numbers, but, but the numbers from May was that about 30% of our students are still looking for jobs. Um, which means that they can continue and taking more classes with us to build their skills and build their network. 30% um, go back to university, which is a very, very high number. Um, and the last 40% are actually going back to jobs, um, meaning either paid internships or normal paid jobs. And, and that number um, is, is very, very positive. Um, we, it's hard to compare to the job center because the job center have to take care of everyone. Um, and, and I acknowledge that we are working with a very privileged number of probably some of the, the top 5% best refugees that, that we have in Germany. Um, so so it's, it's hard to make comparison. Um, at the moment, we are a team of um, 2.5 full-time equivalents running a community of 500 people. So we're a very, very small team running a very large community. And I think um, we, our numbers are significantly better than some of the other competitors or other people in the market. Um, but it's important for me that, that we see the other refugee initiatives as, as potential partners and that it needs to be a, a community that we are really building together and, and trying to, to improve um, and share knowledge with the other organizations. So I, I don't like to compare us too much to, to any of the others, but rather seek ways that we can learn from the other initiatives and, and they can learn from, from what we are doing. Anyone else? Otherwise, thank you so much, Anna. It was very, very great. It's not often that I had the time to talk with you. So <laughs> it's very great. I hope you like it. Uh, but otherwise, we... Uh, we tend to have this every month, so keep an eye on it and we will uh, talk with several people uh, about business, about life, about passion and purpose. So uh, thank you very much for coming and feel free, I think there is a lot of beers, wine, schorle and popcorn left, also cooks. so have a great evening. Thank you very much guys. <laughs>